Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast. Now we're going to Thursday, July 23rd, after a couple days of trying to figure out why technical difficulties are even remotely a thing. We are back with another episode, and maybe it was a good thing that we took the last two days off because we woke up today knowing that the Seattle Kraken are a thing, and that is very cool. We'll talk more about the newest NHL franchise in just a little bit, but welcome back, everybody. I am your host, Danny Webster. I do appreciate you stopping by for today's episode in which we will discuss the releasing of the Kraken, as well as my thoughts on Alex Tuck and the third line and other training camp shenanigans going forward. So let's start with the big news as of 9 a.m. Pacific time today. The 32nd NHL franchise is the Seattle Kraken. Are the Seattle Kraken? Is the Seattle Kraken? No matter how you slice it up, the Kraken have been released and will begin play in the 2021-2022 NHL season as a member of the Pacific Division. Now, I have always been a fan of teams who release logos, teams who release jerseys, and I always look for the aesthetics and really what it looks like from a broader lens. How does it appeal to the eye? How does it look? Just does it pop off the page right away? And I can tell you this, the people behind the design along with Adidas and the people behind the whole concept of the Seattle Kraken did a fantastic fantastic job with this not only the reveal video which was spectacular not even this just that the tease video that they sent out Wednesday evening which had no resemblance of the Kraken whatsoever just a little dinghy fish boat that gathers a goal horn no one had any thought that this would be oh it screams Kraken because it's going to come up and destroy the fish boat my my thought would have been if they were going to continue this it would have been a nice swerve to have a Kraken come up from the depths of the ocean get ready to destroy that boat and then all of a sudden a giant sockeye salmon just get up and crush the Kraken I think that would have been an amazing swerve But they decided, no, we're not going to swerve anybody. We're going to keep the theme with the potential mythological octopus giant thingamabob uh, as our team. And to me, it is absolutely fantastic. The color scheme, brilliant. Now, could there be a green portion to this down the road? I, I sincerely hope so. I think that they should implement green in some instance, one way or another. But... Think of this, it's midnight blue mixed with an icy blue, which I think is awesome. Then you have the logo itself, a giant S, which pays homage to the Seattle Metropolitans, the first American team to win the Stanley Cup, by the way, pays homage to that club, but the S is really slick. It's like a, uh, how would you say, it's like a very sharp S You know, like those S's we used to draw in school, but it's a little bit wider and actually cooler and actually has some resemblance as to why we should even draw it in the first place. So there's that. Right down the middle of the S is one Kraken tentacle, which I I think the words, the the Kraken people, the Kraken people, I'm going to love using that, the Kraken people. It's a fantastic Can you imagine just uh, Ron Francis, uh, Kraken general manager. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, it, it's going to be awesome. Uh, or like Brent Burns, Kraken defenseman. <laughs> oh, it's all going to be so great. Uh, but no, the the way that they described it was the uh, the tentacle, the single tentacle in the S. The Seattle people described it as hidden in the shadows, which is really cool. And then perched to the right of this uh, Kraken logo and right next to the tentacle is the eye of the beast. And noting that, I quote, that the Kraken has been affixed on its prey for some time. Its strike will be swift and devastating. Its opposition overwhelmed and unwary. It will all be over soon. Now, see, that's what I need in my sports teams. I need sports teams to drive fear in the hearts of everyone involved with every opposing team that comes to Climate Pledge Arena. <laughs> I, I need something that just screams, we are going to destroy you in every sense of the word with our mighty tentacle and strike thee down. That and I need Liam Neeson to be the one to announce in the very first game, uh, release the Kraken. If that's not happening, uh, then I have absolutely no idea what we're doing at this current point in time. Now, the jerseys are also fantastic because I am a fan of dark jerseys. More, more notably, I'm a fan of black jerseys. Like when the Golden Knights first unveiled their jersey, I thought it was going to be like a, like a shade of black. I thought they were honestly going to go that way. Instead, they went with the whole gray thing, and it turned out fine. These jerseys, though, absolutely fantastic, especially the home ones. The home ones, because the white ones are very crisp. The white ones are going to be crisp. It's how you present yourself with the home jerseys that's going to dictate how people are going to perceive your uniform concept. To me, the, the dark ones, fantastic, because it's a perfect combination of the midnight blue with the icy blue concept. You got the two icy blue patches on the sleeves and also one at the waist. The one thing that I really, really liked about this, and I think a lot of people also like it as well, the anchors on the sleeves, and the anchors are also, I believe, going to be the alternate logo. The anchors have the space needle in the middle of a regular anchor, a regular anchor, and the middle is the space needle. That is awesome. I absolutely love that. I think it's a perfect complement, not only to the actual design, but to also implement the alternate logo as well as your main logo. Here's a thought. If you want to go with a green alternate jersey, which I think a green third jersey would be fantastic, do green with the anchor and then have the two eyes above the, the side flanks of the anchor. So make it look like a kraken through the anchor. That would be awesome. I'm just saying, maybe maybe uh, the Seattle folks should just hire me. I, I, I'm just loaded, chock loaded with ideas today. Just absolutely floored with ideas today. Um so yeah, that is pretty much the main concept for this, that everything looked spectacular. I cannot wait to see how the pre- the presentation looks uh, when they play their first game next October, all things considered, if we get to the point where they start the 2021-2022 season on time, because you know they still have to get through an expansion draft, they still have to get through you know, a free agency, they have to get through everything before they can even play a game. But I would like to suggest to the masses at the NHL, if you are listening and if you haven't thought this through yet, I need you to start thinking about it now. October 2021, 
the very first game of the season, which I think, you know, Vegas or the NHL probably messed this up when the Golden Knights played their first game. It needs to be in Seattle and it needs to be against the Golden Knights. And I'm not just saying that because I want to be go I want to be in Seattle in early October to watch this to watch a hockey game. I'm not saying because of that. I am saying because that is the only logical matchup that you can do right now. The most successful expansion team in NHL history against the newest expansion team in the NHL. We get to see the environment of Seattle. We get to see the game day atmosphere right off the bat. It goes against the Golden Knights. Everybody gets pumped. We don't have to wait an entire week for or close to an entire week for the new team to play its first home game. And it's against the other newest team in the NHL. To me, that is the best way that you can start the 2021 season is having the Golden Knights and the Kraken. Oh, God, that's going to be awesome to say. The Kraken and the Golden Knights playing each other in a game to start the season. And if you want to throw another caveat in there, that's when the Golden Knights can wear their third jerseys for the very first time. And I think that would also be extremely awesome. Now again, they haven't released con- they haven't released any concepts of the third jersey yet, and I don't think they're going to for a little bit. But I would I would strongly suggest if they aren't going to do the third jerseys next year because of the uncertainty of this pandemic and whatnot, if you save it for 2021, 2022, that's the game you do it on. That is the game you do it on. And I think that would work just tremendously. Tremendously. The Seattle Kraken Love saying that name already. The 32nd NHL franchise joining the Pacific Division next season. Going to be awesome. All right. So I w- so now we need to kind of talk about uh, Golden Knights hockey, actually, uh, because there's uh, th- there are there's still hockey happenings despite all this going on. And I wanted to touch on something that I had mentioned uh, in an article I wrote yesterday, in how the Golden Knights are only going to go as far as they can go. The top six is going to be fine. If you're Vegas, your top six is going to carry you as far as it can take you. And honestly, that's probably for the best. And if they're going to make a run, the top six is going to have to make such a run that it will carry the team along with the goaltending. But I think the one thing that we have learned from this entire ordeal over the last couple of years with the Golden Knights, and this goes from even going to the cup final in year one and then coming within one win of going to the second round last year. The key for the Golden Knights is going to be not the top six, but it's going to be the top nine. And the top nine, if you're focusing it on from that broader of a context, the third line has to be good. And not only does the third line have to be good, it has to involve the resurgence, you will, of Alex Tuck. Now, Tuck has been skating, uh, I I believe, since phase two. Obviously, he's been a full participant in training camp. You'll recall he was injured in the February 13th game against the St. Louis Blues. And that was his second major injury of the season. And he was set to come back at some point in March, but his rehab got pushed back. So we have not seen Alex Tuck skate really since February. 
He's been a full go at training camp for the better part of the first week and a half, and he looks fantastic. He got on the Zoom call yesterday. It was a very short Zoom call, um, but he got on there yesterday and said that he's in the best shape of his life. He's lost 10 pounds, which for a guy of that size that has that kind of speed and that kind of aggression in his game, you want to lose 10 pounds. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty good thing to do given how aggressive of a four checker and how intimidating of a presence you can be in the offensive zone. But the third line is going to be interesting. And I think for the first time really in three years in this franchise's history, the Golden Knights have a third line that could actually dictate the difference of a game. Now, it doesn't pop off. The names don't pop off like you would expect the, the, the third line in year one to do when it was David Perron on that line and you know Tom, Tomas Tatar was also on that line as well. That third line should have made a difference. But if that third line existed on the team last year, they likely would have made a run to the cup final. This year, though, I think when you're talking about the third line, you're looking for a couple of things. You're looking for consistency and you're looking for offensive production because the third line for the last couple of years has been predicated on, or at least in year one, it was predicated on skill and the hope that they could actually make a difference, but there was no actual offensive force that you could rely on on that line to carry the scoring load. Year two definitely did not have that because you had guys like Ryan Carpenter and Cody Eakin manning that line. And it just, they, it was the perfect way to clog space away from a guy like Alex Tuck to where the third line could absolutely to do absolutely nothing. And for the better part of this season, the third line has been a conundrum because there are times it started in the beginning of the year when Tuck got injured. It started with Valentin Zikov, Paul Stasny. Uh, then it eventually transitioned to Cody Glass playing on the wing. Cody Eakin was playing at center when he returned from injury. Uh, you had Zikov playing with Eakin. You had Glass playing with Eakin. You had just every random person you can think of playing on that third line. Even when Chandler Stevenson was acquired, they had to move him from center to wing, and they had him with Eakin, and there, there was just nothing there. Nothing there to say that that third line was going to work. I don't want to say that it took Gerard Gallant being fired January 15th for everyone to realize maybe we need to change up this look on the third line because it didn't really change until Cody Eakin got traded to Winnipeg before the trade deadline. Cody Eakin being moved at the deadline or before the deadline really allowed the opportunity for the third line to open up some offense. And it didn't help the Golden Knights, I think, that injuries started piling up at the worst time, so you couldn't find the right combination. First, you had to deal with Tuck's injury. Then Mark Stone goes down with injury. So now you have to move guys up to the top six, notably Nick Waugh, who had definitely earned himself some time on the top six the way that he was playing. But he he was primarily a fourth-line guy that, at, at the very least, earned himself some top nine minutes. And then there were instances where William Carrier had to move up to the, to the third line as well because he had actually earned himself some more playing time with the way that he was playing on the fourth line. So you take all of that into consideration. And the Golden Knights really, even going into the playoffs, had we been under normal circumstances, they would not have had a third line that you could have relied on. 
given the pause and given everything that has happened in the last four or five months, the Golden Knights are going to be entering this postseason with a third line that can really make a difference. And DeBoer said it himself yesterday on the Zoom call that they think that he thinks that Alex Tuck could be a guy that could really open some eyes in the playoffs. And really, it's not really about opening eyes. It's about getting him line mates that are consistent and getting him guys that he can be accustomed to playing with for at least more than 10 games. Because really, since Mark Stone was acquired by Vegas last year, Alex Tuck has not had consistency on any line. Like, his best hockey came in the beginning of year two and all the way up into the trade deadline, and eventually when he was paired or when he was lined up with Stasny and Pacioretty, that's when his best hockey was shown. The minute he got sent down to the third line and the minute the flux of the third line was just up in the air, he couldn't find any consistency. I think I wrote yesterday that he had two points or he had two goals in the final 16 games of the regular season. He had two points in the entire series against the Sharks and none of them came in games five through seven, all of which the Golden Knights lost. So, and and I think part of that, actually, I would say 95% of that had to do with the fact that that Alex Tuck was lined up with guys such as Ryan Carpenter and Cody Eakin that basically sucked the entire life out of the offense on that third line. There was no playmaking. There was no, there's, there was no scoring threat. Yeah, you had Tuck, but when you have a guy who's going at himself, who can do what he does, but he does it all by himself with no playmaking and no help. It's basically like going one on five the other way. This time around though, Going into these playoffs, I think there's a combination there that's going to work because you have two guys with Alex Tuck who have a lot in common. They were not being utilized enough in their former teams. They were acquired by Vegas basically in either salary dump trades or just a trade in general to get an extra body. And they both outperformed their current roles that they were expected to be. And of course, I'm talking about Chandler Stevenson and Nick Waugh. Stevenson, 22 points in 41 games with Vegas, by far and away a career high. But we're seeing Chandler Stevenson really come into his own with the Golden Knights. We're seeing how solid of a 200-foot player he is. We are seeing how very solid of a skater he is. He's very good in open space. He's very good at finding the open man. He's very good in one-on-one opportunities. And he's just someone that you, you, we always talk about with the Golden Knights, who are the guys that you can interchange from center to wing? Who are the guys that you can put at center and say, okay, I trust you here, but if I can't have you at center tonight, I can put you over at wing. Chandler Stevenson is that guy because he was a center originally and he was a center for the, he, don't forget, he was a center mostly centering the line of Stone and Pacioretty when Cody Glass was out. So it's not like Stevenson can, can struggle one way or the other. He is good at either position. And I think the fact that he is good at either position and he can be a playmaker and also be a scorer from that left side, I think is very beneficial to, again, a guy like Tuck. The same goes for Nick Waugh. Now, Nick Waugh was the sacrificial lamb for the Golden Knights transaction wire for the better part of what, 35 times this year or however many it was. But given what Nick Waugh has been able to do when he's been on the NHL roster, 10 points in I think it was 21 games, he's earned himself this opportunity. Now, what we've seen from Waugh and what I've noticed 
a great deal, even since preseason. Waugh's been very good in the face-off circle, especially in the defensive zone when they needed to win a face-off. He's always been relied upon when the fourth line has been out there to win a draw. Uh, he's very good on the PK. He's shown he's very he's very reliable on the PK, can play solid defense, and he's got sneaky handles for a big guy. He's got very sneaky mitts, very good with the stick, and he's someone that, again, you could put at center or wing, and he's going to make plays happen. You recall when Mark Stone went out before the pause, Nick Waugh earned himself some top six minutes on Stone's right side. And he performed admirably. He had a I think he had a couple of goals in some instances. I believe he did score in the Edmonton game that was prior to the pause. And he he fits so well next to Carlson and Pacioretty that he, he, they were just playing very well together. And that's the kind of guy that you look at and say you know, he's getting an opportunity. Can he make the most of it? And absolutely, yes. He's not going to be a 40-point guy for you every time, but he's definitely someone who can make an impact on both sides of the, of the ice. And if you put a big guy like him with as good hands and as a good stick, opening the ice up for a guy like Tuck, who, again, big guy, is, can skate well and has a good stick, that's going to make a whole load of difference in your top nine rather than just throwing three guys out there and hope they stick. Because now you have three guys that you can rely on and say, do we? can we get a goal from this unit if the opportunity presents itself? And I would say there's a good chance, yes, there is absolutely a chance you can get a goal from that unit if need be. So I look at the third line as a complete game changer for the Golden Knights. And even if you were to look to last year, let's say the Golden Knights advanced to the second round. And let's say Eric Halla was indeed 7 to 10 days away from returning to practice like he told everybody at the end of last season. If he had returned and he was on the ice for the Golden Knights for, say, late in the second round or in the Western Conference Final, that is a huge game changer for the Golden Knights. Having a guy that can make a play for you on that third line. And all of a sudden, your third line goes from Carpenter, Eakin, Tuck to... I don't know, at, at that point, you would hope that it would be like Nikita Gusev, Eric Halla, and Alex Tuck. That third line would have been tremendous. I know that you know there's a chance of Gusev not playing well, but it's the threat. It's the threat of having guys on that line that makes them dangerous. That makes them dangerous. And that has been the problem, really, the last two years for the Golden Knights. There is no third line that you can look at and say that's a dangerous line. Third line for the last two years has just been guys that have just been there. They've they've just been there. They haven't been able to contribute, and they're just names on a piece of paper. In sense, these are names on a piece of paper too, but you look at it from a broader lens if you paid attention to the Golden Knights all year. And you understand why these could be game changers, why these guys could be X factors if the third line is needed to make a play. So when you're going into this playoff format and you see the top teams that have depth across the board, you look at the Blues, who I think had five 50-point scorers this year, and now they're getting Vladimir Tarasenko back. Like you just added a guy to your top six and makes your top nine guys just that more dangerous. And you look at like the Colorado Avalanche who 
The minute they entered free agency in July 1 last year, I said if there was a team that was going to make some noise as far as adding depth, it was going to be Colorado because that was the only thing they lacked. That was the only thing Colorado did not have that separated them from a Game 7 loss in the second round to a spot in the Western Conference Final. They needed depth, and they got it. They got Junis Donskoy. They went out and traded for Nazem Kadri. They got Pierre-Edouard Belmar to anchor their bottom six. Those guys have been huge difference makers for Colorado, and it's why they are considered a threat in the Western Conference to both St. Louis and to the likes of Vegas. It's because they have depth. And we talked all the last couple of years about how much depth the Golden Knights have. And that that's not to cast aspersions. They absolutely have depth. But it's depth that hasn't been utilized until now. And that's where the difference lies when you're talking about the Golden Knights. The depth is there now. And it's going to be utilized in a way that's going to benefit them this year. Last year, no. Be- because even if they got past San Jose, which obviously they should have, but if they were if they got past San Jose and they ran into Colorado, could they have beaten Colorado? Possibly. They could have beaten Colorado because Colorado wasn't as deep and it wasn't as good as it is now. Like the top line was still going to be the top line and it was going to give you trouble, but it wasn't going to scare you for an, for two seven-game series, no matter how much they kicked the crap out of Calgary. Vegas, though, having that third line is going to be the difference, I think, because there's going to come a point where the likes of, you know, Chandler Stevenson, Nick Waugh, even an Alex Tuck is going to need to score a goal. And if they can get it from that third line, that's going to, that's going to be a boatload of a difference than say Stone or Pacioretty or Carlson doing their thing. So it's going to be very interesting to watch how this plays out. And I think that if the Golden Knights can get production from their top nine, and they know what they're going to get with their fourth line, especially if Nick Cousins is on the fourth line, you know what you're getting from them. But if that top nine can produce the way that they're accustomed to and that they should, it's going to be very difficult to beat the Golden Knights in a seven-game series. I don't care if it's St. Louis or Colorado. They're going to be a very tough out in the Western Conference. And I wouldn't be surprised if... It, the third line is the reason why the Golden Knights do make it to the cup final, because that is going to be the reason why they do. That's going to be the reason why they do. All right. So I think that was pretty much all I wanted to talk about today. I think we reached up on everything. Uh, Golden Knights are wrapping up practice as we speak. I'm actually not there. Actually, they already wrapped up practice, so they're probably going to be done uh, momentarily. So we'll be hearing from the Golden Knights players uh, later on tomorrow, probably. Um, which I think tomorrow is going to be a good way. We're going to wrap up training camp for the week and get you ready for the hub city arrival of the golden Knights. We'll get you set up for the teams that are in the round Robin. We'll get you set up for the matchups in the Western conference. We'll even talk about the matchups in the Eastern conference all to get you ready for the Stanley cup playoffs, which are coming up in less in a little bit more than a week. It's crazy that we've gotten to this point. So that'll do it for me today, everybody. Again, sorry for the technical difficulties the last couple of days. I'm not really exactly sure what's going on. Um, every time you try to record something, it just disappears. I'm not sure exactly why. I'm using Audacity, so if anybody's using Audacity and can help me with some of those tips, that'd be greatly appreciated. But I do appreciate your patience. I do appreciate you listening to today. Uh, if y'all can do me a quick favor, 
And uh, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're following it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you can find this show on here, uh, you can find us anywhere. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at LockedOnVGK. You can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. Or if you want to send an email to LockedOnGoldenKnights at gmail.com, I will not shy you away from doing that either. So if you can do all that, that'd be greatly appreciated. And if you want to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as well, lets me know how I'm doing, lets me know how the show is doing, that's also greatly appreciated. I do appreciate that as well. And uh, yeah, that will do it for me today, everybody. Thank you. Hope you all are having a good week. Hope you all will have a good Friday tomorrow. Again, we'll be back tomorrow to wrap up training camp, at least for this portion, and then get you ready for the travel to Edmonton should be a lot of fun so thank you guys once again thank you for your support as always it's glad to be back it's glad to be talking about hockey again it's just fun in general that we're getting sports back all at the same time so until next time i am danny webster this has been locked on golden knights part of the locked on podcast network and i will see you likely tomorrow technical problems are damned have a good day